Well, good morning again. Uh, I'm Brad Cheney. We are in John 15 in a section of scripture called the Upper Room Discourse. And what's what's difficult about the Upper Room Discourse is just being here here now. Uh, we miss the pathos of, of the moment. You know, I'm in a gymnasium speaking to just a handful of people and largely to a camera. Uh, you are maybe in your pajamas in the living room with a cup of coffee trying to keep the kids from going crazy. And I mean, honestly, there is this unavoidable detachment that we feel when we read um, a passage like this. If we could go back in, in a time machine into the upper room and watch what was happening Knowing what we know now, knowing that these are Jesus' very last words to his disciples, knowing that in just a few hours he's going to be arrested, a few hours more crucified, if we, if we could go back there and see it, I mean, it would hit us. It would hit us hard, wouldn't it? I was on a run earlier this week, and I probably read the passage, I don't know, 10 different times, but it was, it was in that moment when I was running that like the pathos hit me. And like, I know that if I was in the upper room witnessing all of this, I'd probably be crying really hard because it's so touchingly beautiful hearing the last words of Jesus. I know there's no way to artificially recreate that experience, but man, I wish the spirit would take these words and really melt our hearts because it, it is, it's all too easy to be numb to God's word, isn't it? John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And then there's a play on words in verse 3 here that doesn't come across in the English. But in the Greek, the word for clean and the word for prune are, are very similar. And so he, then he says, you are already clean, like prune, pruned clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine and neither can you bear, bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a, if a man abides in me and I in him, He will bear much fruit, and apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. If you obey my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and abide in his love. I've told this so that you may, or so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you 
and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you know when you you hear something and it just, it kind of slays you? (laughs) Um, And it doesn't even have to be something very complicated or complex, but looking at the passage this week, I I came across something that that just, it it hit me. So you don't have to wait very long to hear the punchline of the sermon. I'm going to give it to you right now. You can know where you are abiding by looking at the fruit that comes out of your life. And there it is. You can really know where you are abiding by looking at the fruit that is coming out of your life. If you are experiencing jealousy and frustration and rage, you aren't abiding in that moment. You're not abiding in Christ. Because the fruit of, of abiding in Christ is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. But the fruit of abiding in, in other places, uh, for instance, the, the fruit of abiding in media, the fruit of abiding in media is snarkiness and condescension. And look at all those ignorant people who don't know what I know. It's pride, it's scorn, it's malice. But it's very simple. You can, you can look at your life and tell where you are abiding by what is flowing out of you. And the funny thing is, everybody else can look at your life and tell where you're abiding by the fruit that is flowing um, out of you. So, so then, you know, how do we abide in Christ so that our lives are marked by the fruit of his presence, by this good fruit that the Father you know, desires from us? That's what we're going to talk about. The vine in the Old Testament was always a symbol of Israel. In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah's famous song of the vineyard, Isaiah chapter 5, he makes the point that God had carefully cultivated his vineyard Israel, had planted her in a garden in the promised land, and protected her from wild beasts. And in due time, God expected to come to his vineyard and receive fruit, collect fruit from her. But the Israel in Isaiah's day had yielded nothing but bad fruit or sour grapes. And that is, you know, Isaiah's um, indictment on the people. But you notice that here, Jesus says that he, he is the true vine, which can only mean that he in himself, he is the true Israel. He is the one on whom God's promises are now resting. And his followers are truly God's people if they belong to Christ and abide in him. So it's important to kind of hear that Old Testament echo because this um, picture of a vine isn't just a clever illustration from gardening. It's really about who Jesus is and who his people really are and what God wants from us as people. Maybe you noticed before in the book of Galatians where Paul says the fruit of the Spirit Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says it's the fruit, singular, not fruits, plural. Now, why is it the singular and not the plural? The reason that it's singular and not plural is because you cannot isolate any one of those character traits and, and, and find that they are true. For instance, if you lack peace then most likely you're always going to lack patience. 
If you lack joy, then you're probably going to lack love or self-control. If you lack gentleness, then you're going to lack kindness, and so on and so forth. Like every one of those fruits are, are interconnected. And so the idea is, is it's a whole package. That whole package is what God is, is trying to grow on us. Jesus is saying that God is cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in us, and it's achieved by this word we don't use very often. It's achieved by abiding. Abiding. Well, what does that mean? If, um, <clears throat> if I were to say, attention, everyone here in the gymnasium, what I want you to do, I want you to abide in this room until I return— you would you have something of an idea of what I mean by that. Um, I just want you to sit here, relax, you know, don't go bouncing off the walls, stay put. That's what it means to abide in this room. We'll enter the metaphor then of abiding in a vine or abiding in Christ. When a branch is attached to a, a grapevine, the branch is going to draw from the very sap of the vine. When a branch is attached to a vine, they share the same, and I don't even know the right um, technical language, but the same internal tubing, right? So that the juices of the one flow into the other. And notice what the vine has access to. The vine has access to all the moisture and nutrients of the soil. The roots of the vine reach under the ground and they tap into all of the riches of the earth. And they pump that life-giving richness out to the branches. In that instance, then, what is the role of the branches? What must the branches do? They just must sit there (laughs) and just sit there and soak up all of this life-giving energy that the vine is pumping into them. And if that happens, if they, if they drink deeply from the sap of the vine, then they're going to blossom and they're going to grow and they're going to bear much fruit. We can press the metaphor a little further. The vine and the branches both go to places where the others cannot go and do things that the other cannot do. So we already said the vine goes into the ground and taps into the nutrients and moisture of the soil. The branches could never do that. But the branches grow outward, and they end up reaching parts of the land that the the vine would never get to. I mean, fruit is not born, like, on the vine stem. It's only in the branches that are, you know, expanding out across the land. The branches bring the fruit to places way out there in the world. Do you see kind of how the, the metaphor works? And so I love this image that Jesus gives us because, I mean, he has roots, deep roots, does he not? Roots that go deep into the Trinity. He has access to all of the triune life and love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we, like branches, uh, when we are connected to him by his Spirit, his veins are our veins. And that Trinitarian life flows in and through and to us. And the key, of course, is, is just that we sit there and abide and, and allow it to happen. Maybe you've heard a, a very famous quote by Pascal. Pascal said, he said, you know, what is the problem with humanity? Quote, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room all alone. <laughs> and, you know, I, I could say probably the exact same thing about the Christian life. Like pretty much 
all of the problems that I have experienced in the Christian life stem from my inability to sit quietly in a room and just abide in Christ. I mean, I am so easily distracted. I mean, even when I'm doing my morning Bible reading program, I mean, I am so distracted. Uh, How do we abide in Christ? How do we sit still and and really soak it in? Well, he tells us about three different ways. Number one is in verse seven. He says, abide in my words. Abide in my words. Not merely read the Bible, which is what I, I do pretty much every day, uh, but, but really like soak in the words. Um, I know I would be so much more holy if I abided in his word and less in sports articles. And probably all of us have something like that we could say about ourselves. If we spent half as much time um, abiding in his word rather than abiding in the news or abiding in online shopping or, you know, you fill in the blank for yourself. But like abide in my word. Isn't it interesting right now with the coronavirus, people are probably abiding in the news cycle more than any other time. I mean, people are just like constantly inundated with the news. But, but don't you find that that stuff is it's really not that healthy for us. I mean, it's like drinking rat poison. Um, Haven't you noticed that so much of the the articles that show up on maybe your Google newsfeed, for instance, they're they're a little more than clickbait. They're They're just trying to like stoke your fears or your anxieties or your angers and your frustrations, all of that. We're abiding in news or... Right now, we're doing a lot of shopping from the house. <laughs> we're abiding in, in the, the latest deal. But he says, you just got to, you got to abide in my word. Let my word abide in you and you in it. And secondly, he says in verse 9, you must abide in my love. That's a beautiful idea, isn't it? Just to abide in, in my love. In the front of, of the bulletin, I have that quote from Sinclair Ferguson. He says, the believer rests his or her life on the love of Christ, the love of the one who lays down his life for his friends. This love has has been proved to us in the cross of Christ, and we must never allow ourselves to drift from daily contemplation of the cross as the irrefutable demonstration of that love or, or from dependence on the Spirit who sheds it abroad in our hearts. Great Scotsman Sinclair Ferguson uh, I read that and I thought, do, do I daily, do I daily contemplate the love of God and the cross of Jesus Christ? Do I daily contemplate the cross as a demonstration of such love? No. No, I, I don't think I abide in it. And then Jesus says thirdly in verse 10, that we must abide in him by keeping his commandments. And particularly verse 12, his commandment to love one another, which we talked about in depth last week. Uh, To this, I would say, you know, all of us have a myriad list of uh, frustrations with the church. I mean, all you have to do is watch the news or read the Christian blog sphere. And there's there's plenty of things to be just completely tear out your hair kind of uh, issues related to the church. Um, But what Jesus says, really the key is, is how are we living together? Like, how, is, how are our relationships together? How am I loving 
the ones whom God has situated with me in the local church. I, I mean, to some extent, I couldn't care less about what the, the Christian blog sphere says that's happening over here, there, the news with that church or with that Christian leader. I, I don't care. What I care about is like, am I, am I in love with you? And are you, am I loving you and you with, with me? Because that's where, that's where it really matters. I mean, there's no better book to focus on that than this classic, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together. And if you, if you want to, I mean, really talk about what it means to live in Christian community and not an idealized community, but just real community. Like this should be a book that we read once a year, <laughs> require reading for every one of us, because we abide in him by keeping his commandments and particularly the commandment to love one another in our, in our relationships. All right, look with me at, there's two less pleasant parts of this passage. The first is in verse 2, where Jesus says that he cuts off every branch in him that bears no fruit. Um, and, and then uh, what he says in verse 6, he says that if anyone does not abide in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and, and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned, which is a is a clear reference to hell. What he's saying is it's possible to have a a connection with him that yet doesn't bear real fruit. I mean, Judas would be a classic example of this. He seemed to be pretty close to Jesus, but ultimately there was no lasting fruit. And it's possible, it is possible to get baptized, profess faith in Jesus, have a, a church connection with Jesus, but miss Here's the key, but miss the vital union of being with the stem and end up becoming dead wood. And what does he say about dead wood? He breaks it off and he throws it away into the fire, which is a word of judgment. There's also then the second aspect, the pruning that's mentioned here in the passage, that the father prunes the branches. And I'll use this as an illustration we have all seen a rose bush that hasn't been pruned before, haven't we? A rose bush that hasn't been pruned is a straggly, tangled mess. Uh, such a bush will provide a few small roses, but for the most part, it won't produce any large and lasting blossoms. And the reason is because a, a rose bush will, will literally like grow in on itself. And by growing in on itself, it blocks itself from the light. As one author puts it, a rosebush needs help to grow in the right directions and to the right ends. So if you prune it to stop it from wasting its energy and being unproductive, you are serving it well. You cut out the parts of the plant that are growing inwards and getting tangled up. The cuts encourage the shoot to grow outwards toward the light. You prune roses. This is kind of cool. You prune roses to help it be its true self. And isn't that so indicative of us? Like left to ourselves, we will we'll grow in on ourselves. We don't grow towards the light. We, get, we block the light. And that is why the, the vine dresser, he prunes us. Now the passage never actually says how God our Father prunes us. But I mean, it's really not hard to guess, is it? <laughs> he prunes us you know, always through trials and through difficulties, adversities. Uh, he prunes us through financial stress. Yeah, I've got a lot of that right now. 
um, medical stress. Got a lot of that right now. Maybe a, a bad job performance review, a, an unfair professor, a bad grade, a bad semester, a painful family interactions, church problems, a church community that's divided against itself. I mean, God prunes entire churches. And I could go on and on. But the one thing we, there's two things we know about pruning. Number one, it always hurts. It always hurts. It, it hurts. I mean, our father's pruning knife, it kills us. And at the moment we are being pruned, we want to curse and scream, God, this is killing me. Stop. To which Jesus says, the father replies, no, this is cleansing you. Remember what I said at the beginning when I was reading the passage, how two and three are, are connected. No, what I'm actually doing is I am, I'm cleansing you. He's pruning, the pruning is a cleansing. Um, he's taking out the untangled, unfruitful mess that needs to be cut away. He, he's all doing it so that we might be truly fruitful. And so here's one thing I want you to consider is, uh, I guess the second part was just, you know, his pruning is always an act of his love. It, it is an act of his love. Um, it hurts. It's an act of his love. If you're in a season right now where you feel his pruning, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you've done anything wrong. It doesn't mean that God is punishing you. It doesn't mean that he's upset with you. It most likely means that you're loved. Because all true branches, Jesus says, will be pruned. And God is doing that for his own glory and for our good so that his joy might be within us. Finally, uh, maybe the best way to respond to this sermon is simply to just pray, Lord, teach me how to abide. Like, I really don't know how to abide very well. That's not something I'm very good at. I'm not killing it on the, uh, the abide level meter, you know. Just teach me how to abide. There's a vine that is planted at Hampton Court Palace just outside of London, it was planted in the year 1769. It's the largest grapevine that is, that's on the planet right now. It measures 12 feet in circumference around the base. And it produces a mere 515 pounds of grapes every year. <laughs> Go ahead and check it on the internet. It, it's incredible. Um, it's a mighty vine. And Christ is a mighty vine. Like we are attached to that kind of a vine whose roots go all the way down into the heart of God. And we can know that we are abiding in him by the good fruit that that, that produces. And we can know we're not abiding by the awful sour grapes that, that are produced. I mean, now more than ever, we need to abide in this mighty vine. Abide in his words and in his love. We, we need to nourish our souls in his words and in his love and in love for each other and in our church. Isn't it a remarkable, God gave, okay, God gave us something he didn't give to any of the, uh, of the animals. You know, he didn't give it to the fish. He didn't give it to plants. He gave every one of us a soul, a soul. And, you know, that, that thing that we have inside of us, that thing that is us, that, that center of our humanity, that is the most important part of us. And the soul that we have, the soul that you have been given, is the only, that, that is what you're going to carry in to eternity. Like your soul you get forever. The part of you that is inside of you now, you will carry into eternity for better or for worse. 
that will last until time immemorial. And given the fact that we spend so much time caring for our bodies, isn't it crazy that we we do such a poor, lousy job of caring for our souls? Um, So take your soul, draw draw close to Christ, and, and just abide. Abide in his word. Abide in his love. When was the last time you took 30 minutes and did nothing but sat alone quietly in a room and just, uh, you know, abide in him and allow by his spirit for God to pour all of his vigor and his life into your soul that he might have the very thing that he wants from us, which is good fruit. And he's going to be looking for it. The good fruit of the spirit. Amen. Let's pray. O oh, Jesus, true vine and tree of life, whatever fruit our lives might bear, uh, we know it comes from being close with you. And so teach us what it means to abide in you. Uh, we would even be so bold as to pray that you would prune us and purge us as is best for our growth and health. Um, remove from our lives the dead branches and dead and dry stumps and places of emptiness. And please nourish us by your love. Every part of us, nourish us with your love, uh, which is, you know, the only way that we'll bear good fruit. Make us mindful of um, the Holy Spirit and, you know, to draw on that metaphor, the internal tubing that we, we share together. Strengthen us in your life that we might follow your commandments and especially your commandment to love one another, that your joy may be in us and our joy would be complete. Amen.